What up, what up? Welcome to another episode of Keep the Kayfabe. I'm Mike, sitting here with my boys, ready to talk some wrestling. It's been a little while since we've done an all-time great episode, and what better time than the nice autumn air to sit down and reminisce about the greatest managers of all time spanning WCW, ECW, WWE. There's been so many, but some are only going to make our list, and tonight we're going to go over those. So let's get acclimated with the boys real quick. Over in Glendale, somebody who keeps it regal, Steve Grobschmidt. How are you, Grabby? You're a jive soul, bro. A jive soul, bro. And you're always lying to your friends. You're a jive soul, bro. A jive soul, bro. And you never get nothing in the end. <laughs> <laughs> Is that slick? That's slick. Nice. A little throwback. Good rhythm, too, bro. Sort of. In my spoken word, well, it's my spoken word approach to to intro music. I like it. I like it a lot, actually. I'm inspired by the great William Shatner, who at 90 is going into space this month. Wow, the Shat. Yeah. <laughs> going into the Strat. <laughs> wow, I like it. Well played. Shat in the Strat. All right. Let's go down to Bayview, talk to somebody who shreds a strat every once in a while. He keeps it freshly squeezed, Mr. Matt Michelson. How are you, Matt? <laughs> Sorry, that was supposed to be uh, the laugh from the intro music for a manager from the late 90s, Trish Stratus. Yeah, yeah I got that. Oh, wow. I, I, I did I get it. it. I, I got that. it. Oh, yeah. I saw the twinkle in Charlie's eye there, too, when you did it, so that's good. Thankfully, our listeners don't have to see it. <laughs> oh yeah and speaking of strat again it's all over the place all right well let's go down to bayview still talk to my guy oh my god it's charlie michael oh oh you don't know you asked for to call somebody <laughs> timeless classic yeah never classic. gets old never gets old yeah i think it's something right. quick it's like Austin 316. <laughs> For sure. All right. Well, speaking of something, thinking of something quick, we got um, a list of managers that we need to run down for the all-time greats. I don't think we've ever done this before, but I love doing these shows with you just because the list, um, we've all got in the wrestling at different times. And I know we're probably all going to have some overlapping people, but one to get the ball rolling I'm just going to go out and say he's one of my all-time favorites, Mr. James E. Cornette, the man with the tennis racket, the man that was the leader of the Midnight Express. Uh, this guy just blows my mind just how quick-witted and his delivery and just his vocabulary. Very intelligent man. He's, he's pretty much a straight-up genius in the wrestling world. Um, such a fixture. He started... As a photographer, he went into 
I think he became a manager after that. He wrestled for a little bit too, I think. He's basically done everything there is to do in wrestling. Uh, but some of my favorite stuff is when he was managing so many different wrestlers. Um, I mean, it, it's it's a long list. But, um, Charlie, I know you were a WCW guy, but you probably watched him even sooner than that. Was he in NWA or Smoky Mountain before that? Yeah, he was NWA. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty much my favorite as well. He's the best, yeah. best manager around, you know, yeah. He obviously started. I mean, he started. I mean, he started NWA. He started the territories, but Smoky Mountain was kind of like after his deal. But his whole deal, he started up. He st- he came up. He started NWA. He started in the Mid South, then went to NWA. You know, he did Texas, Devon Eric's with those guys. Yes. You know, so he started out as a photographer and then became a manager. So does anybody know, you know, Mike, you had mentioned Jim Cornette carrying that tennis racket everywhere. Where did that stem from? Does anybody know the history behind that? I don't remember why a tennis uh, racket, but I do know, didn't he let load that thing as like a, like basically have a self-defense? That and he said it was for the sound. The sound of it was what he was going for too, because it made like this harsh, you know, bump when it hit people i remember him talking about it i can't remember clearly the multi-layer but he said he wanted it mostly for the sound maybe somebody uh our fans out there can uh write to us and if they have a deeper meaning into it you can always get us hip to that information um but yeah the the tennis racket was something that i'll always remember his his suits and yeah he was just he was just awesome Still's awesome today. I mean, his podcast I listen to occasionally on long road trips. They're like three and a half hours long. Oh, yeah, they're long. I just listen to the clips, man. They're long chills, dude. Yep. But, I mean, dude, I just can't believe the guy's memory and just how quick he is. Um, he, He doesn't miss a beat, that's for sure. Nope. Awesome. Well, Charlie, I probably took uh, one of your favorite guys. What, did you have something there, Charlie? No, I just say yeah. He's like the the historian. He's like probably much pretty much the only historian historian of wrestling probably in this country today that that pretty has much. all the history and knows the history of wrestling. Yep. Well, and at his house, I guess like pretty much has, a like, museum. The, yes, rooms uh, the of stuff from Dark Side, the Dark Side of the Ring boys go to interview him, and they say it's like going to. You know, Prince has his place on Lake Minnetonka. Jim Cornette has, like, the wrestling museum over in his place. And I think he's in North Carolina, is he not? No, he's in um, Kentucky. Oh, that's right. Kentucky, yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. All right, Charlie, I might have stole your favorite (laughs) manager, but did you have one for us this evening? Uh, The only one I can think of that I really like, too, uh, I mean, I'm sure you guys other one, is Bill Alfonso from uh, ECW. He he was great with Rod Van Dam. You know, he was a great manager. Fucking just annoying. He blew the whistle all the time and just Oh yeah, that's, oh, that's right. Yeah, he okay. was just great, dude. He was he was great. He managed RVD, Sabu. You know, he's just a great manager. Just entertaining guy, you know. The whistle was so annoying. And I can't even imagine what it would be like to A wrestle with that going in your ear, but also sitting ringside during that too. Had to been so annoying. Yep. Uh, there's one I can't think of his name. Now I'll, I'll, I'll come up. There's a Ring of Honor manager, a little known one. Now. What was his freaking name? But yeah, go ahead. Now 
go to someone else. I'll remember it. It'll come back to me. No problem. Matt, you look ready. What do you got for us, bro? I am. So this one seems kind of like an easy pick, but based on the intro I gave with Trish Stratus, we I want to go back to that for just a minute because Trish Stratus is definitely well known for her reign as a women's champion in WWE for a long time. Her long running feud with Lita um, well before women's wrestling was really as mainstream as it is today. They sort of paved the way for the current generation of women's wrestlers, I would say. But prior to that, um, Trish Stratus, even after she had gotten into wrestling a little bit, was the manager of Testin Elbert, known at the time as TNA, which was definitely a play on words considering who their manager was. But even with her as a manager, um, they were they were a phenomenal tag team before that. And I think inserting her as a manager with them made it all that much better. Um, you know, if you weren't tuning in to watch Test and Albert, you were tuning in to watch Trish Stratus. But then you got to see some pretty good wrestling along with it, um, along with some pretty interesting gimmicks from those two. So I think Trish Stratus, you know, even though she's not known for being a manager all that much, I think, you know, a lot of my memories of Test and Prince Albert in the late 90s can really be attributed to her being the manager of those two. Um, so there isn't a ton really to say about her, unfortunately, in that role. Um, so I'm actually going to throw out one other manager uh, who is very recent, and you guys will probably laugh when I say this, but Alex Abrahantes, the translator <laughs> of the Pentagon um, in AEW. And But I have a good reason for this. So if you think about when Pentagon and Phoenix, as the Lucha Brothers, started tagging, um, you know, well before AEW, they're known for great work in the ring. But when you get to mainstream North American wrestling, I feel like promo work is key to really get yourself over and rocket yourself into the title picture. Prior to Alex Abrahantes coming into play, you know, Pentagon speaks very little English. Uh, Phoenix is kind of about the same, I would say. So giving them Alex Abrahantes as a translator to really help put them over with the crowd and build more of a story behind their wrestling, I think was really instrumental in what ultimately led to them getting built up as this, you know, world tag team champion team. Um, right. Granted, they could have easily have done it before, but I think it's a lot more interesting when you have the storyline element behind it. And, you know, we got to see that unfold on Dynamite when he started translating for Pentagon. But then that built all the way up to All Out, which we were fortunate enough to see live. And you can listen to that review on a separate episode of this podcast. But we get to see Alex Abrahantes that night come out in this bright red suit. Clearly, he had reached his peak. The guy's doing amazing work as a manager right now. Um, he's really evolved from a ringside commentator for their Spanish team to Pentagon's translator with some hokey lines here and there to now just full-time manager. Um, really interesting to see that evolution. And without him, I think it's safe to say we would not have the Lucha Brothers as the AEW World Tag Team Champions today. Yeah. I definitely agree with you, Matt. It was really fun when he just kind of busted in as the translator and now is playing a bigger role. Nice little deep cut, but in a recent, um, you know, role during AEW. So I was thinking more old school. So thank you for that. Steve, what do you got for us, my man? You know me, I like to throw a little, start off a little old school, but I'm going to throw out uh, Gary Hart. If um, Charlie's probably got the best shot at remembering Gary Hart from, uh, I mean, he started off, I think more or less in world class, but uh, he was a, but I remember him most from uh, WCW NWA. He, um, I think when he was in world class, he managed like uh, Gino Hernandez, Chris Adams, some of these guys you maybe heard of from um, 
from uh, in Dark Side of the Ring, unfortunately. But uh, I remember him from WCW. He managed uh, Terry Funk, the great Muda. Um, I believe he was managing Terry Funk when he had that classic feud with Flair with the I Quit match. But uh, yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he, you, you also have, if you've watched any of those documentaries on like the fall of W of, of world class and all that, he was, he featured prominently in there, but yeah, just a great eighties, probably seventies too, but at least for me, eighties manager. Nice. No, I have no idea about that guy. I'll have to do yeah, some research. After yeah. That. Wow. Was Playboy Gary Hart. How do you spell his last name? No relation. Same, to the... same, same spelling, but no relation. I don't believe. H a r t. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. Nice. A lot, lot of hearts. A lot of hearts in wrestling. <laughs> True that. Charlie, did you remember that person that you were trying to think of? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Truth Martini. He was uh, in Ring of Honor for oh. a while. Truth was great, dude. The book, of, yeah. uh, book of Truth. Yeah, he was a great manager. He was there when you know Ring of Honor kind of their heydays, man. Um, I, he just kind of got out of the wrestling business. I know he has a wrestling school now in Michigan, but yeah, but he okay. was like a great manager. You know, he kind of think he managed Jay Lethal. Uh, I'm trying to think of all the people he managed. He managed a lot of people, you know. He was just a good loud mouth. He kind of had a raspy voice. He was, he was pretty. He's a pretty crazy guy. He was fun. Nice. I'll have to look into him too. Yeah. Because I have, I didn't watch a whole lot of Ring of Honor. Was he kind of like the Jimmy Hart of Ring of Honor? Would you say? Yeah, yeah. He was the main manager. There's a couple other managers, but he was like the he was their big manager, you know, at, at the time. Okay. And they were hot, you know. Yeah, Jimmy Hart's one of those guys. I mean, everybody who would be listening to this show would know who Jimmy Hart was. Basically, has managed yeah, everybody under the sun. One of my all-time favorites. Yeah, baby. He had those great airbrushed uh, blazers that I've been trying to go on eBay and find or stumble upon. If I, I, I want to own one someday, I'll probably put it in a glass frame and put it down <laughs> here in my basement. So that's a good one. Uh, I certainly can. I made a whole list here, but um, yeah, I'm kind of holding off. I think we're all going to name like, you know, when you start getting to the top of the list, but uh but, uh, you know, I brought him up early. Well, actually, no, I'm going to bring up a little, you know, you brought up Trish Stratus. I'm going to bring up a, uh, maybe not top of the list, but I like Sherry Martell when she was the manager of Harlem Heat. Like she's, and she always had that, like, you know, cause oh, she's, yeah. she's a wrestler. She could bump. She wasn't afraid to like, you know, rough house with the other men or with yeah. the men. And uh, like, she got into it with a like, Colonel Parker and stuff. I know, but yeah, she was just kind of, and you know, those guys to this day speak highly of her. Like, so I think it wasn't like, some weird like oh we're gonna stick you guys with sherry and it didn't work i mean they respected the hell out of her so uh yeah sister sherry did she get into the hall of fame with the harlem heat because she got in on her own before she did, harlem yeah heat. yeah she got in before oh, that, yeah. okay great good yeah because she's she was a badass she was ahead of her time because women's wrestling when she kind of was big was kind of a lull but she mm -hmm. she's she's a badass right she was beautiful like miss elizabeth and then she had the the like the the confidence and bossiness and badassness of like scary Sherry. Yeah. Yeah, she was badass. Nice. Macho yeah. man. Oh yeah, how can I how can I mention her? I mentioned her as the manager of Harlem Heat. Yeah, and she she actually managed the Macho King and Shawn Michaels when he first turned heel. Oh That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, think, I think everybody's got it too, but um, like one of the greatest I forgot to um, go with Tornette. It's obviously Bobby the Brain Heenan. Well, that's, yep. that's number Definitely. one on my list. Yeah, he's yeah. like number between those two, sure. man. He's between one and two on my list with Cornette, man. Easily. Totally. If you go back and listen to our episode, I think it's episode 50, actually, where we review WrestleMania 3. It's funny because we go down the entire card and every match has managers involved. And the managers are always either Jimmy Hart, Bobby the Brain Heenan, or Slick. Three people <laughs> already named. Yeah. Heenan is he's pure genius just not even as a wrestling manager just as a human being he understood the business so well and he he basically could have done anything that he wanted if he was like a vacuum salesman he would have been top in the nation getting like gold cadillacs as his gift every year or i mean he could have done anything he could have been a movie star but you know he was truly a gift to wrestling and it's totally so sad right. the way that, um, you know, his life ended. It, it's pretty crazy to, you know, somebody who is just so full of life on television um, wind up the way that he did. So rest in peace, Bobby Heenan. He truly was the greatest of all time. And you can see his documentary. There's a lot of stuff online about him. But that stuff that he used to do with Gorilla Monsoon was so great, too. Just stuff you'll never see ever again. Um, yeah, definitely top of the list. Bobby the Brain. Yeah. And he, um, you said it like he could have done anything. Like, there's people that say in his day he was one of the best wrestlers. He mm. was the best manager, best commentator. I mean, he just, yeah, he was like a Renaissance man in wrestling. Like, like that any one of those three things he was like top of his game at. So it's hard to, I mean, uh, Jim Ross has said before that he is probably the best personality of all time in wrestling oh yeah all those factors yeah yep. i'd agree with that 100 percent. somebody who else is 100 percent in my book is don Callis. Uh, oh yes sounds great right now yeah. in yeah. in aew i don't think there's anybody going uh today better than him um there's been a lot of great ones that have done a lot of great things so that's why i think it's hard for a manager to almost reinvent themselves to separate themselves from the all-time greats. And Don has been doing it so skillfully as the manager of Kenny Omega uh, specifically, but also that all elite team. I mean, remember when they had that portrait of him and Kenny, like with their shirts off yes. with like just yes. wearing those jeans and they had like the V going down by the pelvis. I mean, who does that? I wonder That's if that great. was his idea. Oh, I'm but sure. I mean, that but now I love that he's regular regularly wearing that pink suit all the with time. Those yeah. Shoes. <laughs> yeah. It just goes so good with his tinted glasses. And then the dude just seems like he, like his neck and his head are all just one piece. So like the <laughs> pink suit just kind of like, he looks like a big toe, like, a, <laughs> like, a, like it's, it's crazy. I know Matt, you like to call him earthworm Jim, which is another great comparison. But yeah, we're almost like a turtle microphone. without a shell. Yeah. Him on the microphone, him at the commentating table, him around the ring. I just get so much joy seeing Don Callis when he's on TV. That's for you sure. Guys, you guys need to follow him on Twitter because he's fucking hilarious. Oh, he's, really? on a roll he's on a roll lately. He'll just shit on what anybody says. Like somebody like Jim Ross or somebody will be like, like Jim Ross posted a meal he got at a restaurant and Don Callis was ripping on it. Like he does stuff like that. Or like somebody was saying like, 
oh, my young son is into wrestling. Uh, what would, what one match would you reckon they watch? And he says something about like Lou Fez and Vern Gagne from 1950, <laughs> which is like a terrible choice for a kid. And yeah. he's, like, honestly, you gotta follow him on Twitter. He's hilarious. Oh, he's just trolling do. everybody. That's why he's the best. He's, yeah, he's he great. really is the worm. They should just call him the worm. Because yeah. he's just gets into uh, those dirty areas and disgusting and yeah, he yeah, was good. Heck, sure. he was good in his uh, when he's in WWE. Was Cyrus, he was great in ECW as Cyrus, and he was great in WWF. He's really good in ECW as well as Cyrus. He was, right. he, he was also he was also the Jackal. In yeah, WWE. the Jackal. Good call. That's yeah, that's what he was the Jackal there. But yeah, Cyrus, the virus, and and um, in ECW. The Jackal. God, one of the worst gimmicks of all time. Speaking of that era, actually, that's a great segue to another manager I just want to throw out. Um, in the interest of continuing to push female managers this evening. Yeah, I like it. Um, one other manager that comes to mind um, was actually more over than the wrestler that she managed. Um, some of you might remember Marvelous Mark Miro, but he was not <laughs> the cool one out of the two. The cool one was Sable because everybody was talking about her, regardless of how Mark Miro's matches played out. Oh, yeah. Hottest woman in wrestling for me of all time. I mean, when well, when she wrestled, too, she had that long braid. I mean, during the Attitude Era, I mean, with the handprints over her you-know-whats. Uh, I mean... It's just crazy. We'll never see that ever again. And she was like the Barbie doll of that era. Uh, but she could wrestle a good match, too. I mean, she had no business really doing it. Um, but the fact that she stepped up and she took some big bumps and uh, did the things that she's done. And it just it's just so nice to see that she's wound up with a really great, decent guy that's treating her well in Brock Lesnar these days, too. A stand-up individual, Brock. Yeah. Salt to the earth. Yep. <laughs> totally, totally deserves her. So, now that's a great call, Matt. Love to see it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we got to mention Miss Elizabeth in the, in the podcast if we're going to be doing greatest managers of all time. She didn't say much. But she was one of the biggest stars in wrestling history. Um, just being at the right place at the right time, I think, you know, during Macho Man's big, um, you know, Hall of Fame career, manager of the Mega Powers. I mean, she was the catalyst for their big breakup. Uh, and then, yeah, her, her uh, death was actually very, very sad and unfortunate also. Um, that can be seen and learned about more through the dark side of the ring episode. Um, yeah, that's, I think that's episode one, season one, if you guys want to go back and watch it, but yeah, we got to shout out Miss Elizabeth. Absolutely. I mean, she was revealed the way she was revealed was like, who is going to manage Macho Man Randy Savage, and they brought out literally everybody. There was all the big managers were like in the running and then he went off script. Yeah, exactly. So big moment, big moment in wrestling for sure. But uh, Charlie, you mentioned ECW before. Um, should we talk about Paul E a little bit here? Paul E uh, dangerously. Yeah, I mean he didn't do much managing ECW. He kind of get into the manager thing when he in WCW and um and um and you know obviously his last WWF run here. 
Right. So he's, he's good. I mean, he's obviously the best in the business today. Cuts great promos. He pretty much got Brock over. He's helping get Roman over as a heel, the way he's playing it. You know? Right. I'm telling yeah. you, I, I, I think we covered this in the Factions episode, but uh, his dangerous alliance in WCW, when you look at the people that he managed at one time, mm-hmm. it was like insane. It was um, Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton, Larry Zabisco, those are all Hall of Famers, uh, Medusa, Michael Hayes, Rick Rude, Stone Cold before he was Stone Cold. I mean, that was an awesome faction, and he was the manager of it. And yeah. He could have been the mastermind behind it all. I mean, that, yeah. that guy is literally, um, he's got to be on the Mount Rushmore of wrestling minds. He's right up there with Cornette and Heenan and, yeah, Paul Lee. Um, he's... I mean, you just don't see him doing what he used to do back in the day uh, currently. You know, with Roman, he just kind of walks out there and stands there. He doesn't really move around the ring. I mean, you can kind of tell that his love of the business has been shot. I don't know if he owes a lot of money to the IRS, and that's why he's just collecting paychecks in WWE. Or it's just easy money. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah, that's very true. I a few years back when I first got back into uh, WWE in the mid 2010s, I remember uh, seeing Paul Heyman managing Brock Lesnar, and God, the guy got under my skin. But after watching wrestling, you know, for a while after that, and really getting into the business, and obviously getting to the point where we're talking about the behind the scenes on this podcast. I really grew to appreciate Paul Heyman and just how good he is, especially on the microphone. Because if you think about that run where Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar feuded for several years before Roman went away and turned, and you know we now have Roman Reigns as he is today, Paul Heyman, man, he would come out every week and cut the same promo, but he could do it in a way where every week was just different enough where it kept you hooked and at least a little bit curious about what was going to come next. So... For someone to be able to do that within the WWE system where everything's so heavily scripted and you kind of get the same thing fed to you every single week, it is it is impressive and it's definitely worth mentioning. Um, it really makes you wonder what he'd be like if the reins were really off, no pun intended. <clears throat> right. I, I feel like he still has, you know, something to give to wrestling because you see it in his... Like, uh, when they interview him about stuff, like, he's still so articulate and can, like, just put things in a certain way only Paul E. can do. So, yeah, I wish he would kind of get out of there and, and go somewhere else where we can have see a last hurrah of Paul E. dangerously. Um, I think we will, honestly. I would be willing to bet he will go to a different promotion someday to have, you know, a proper send-off. I hope so. I, I don't. I I kind of question it unless they fire him because it's so. No, which is probably more possible than anything. Yeah, I mean that would be it. He's just making so much money there. He's you know, and I I, I could see it maybe, but I just don't think they would get rid of him because he's because he can use him and they can use him in so many areas that they know that his strength is. If they lose a guy like that they're in trouble they're not gonna let that guy go it's kind of like if they'd let roman reigns go you know, they do guy... say 
They do say that he is um, one of those few personalities that 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 knows how to work with Vince. Like yeah. he's got his own opinions, but yeah. he knows when to pick his battles. And uh, yeah, hey, would you want to have this? Yeah, yeah. Would you want to let him go, the mastermind of ECW, to go to AEW and help them get their shit together? Because I mean, that's the he, that's the dream. Because ECW, if they would have had money. And the money like AEW does, they would have taken right. over uh, WWF at the time, but it was because of Paul and his, right. you know, money mismanagement and shit like that that they'd have the money to do it. Not, not paying dudes. Yeah, you know, right. and lying to them. I guess, a, I guess a better way I should have said it was I really just hope Paulie goes out on his own terms and, like, his love of wrestling doesn't get um, – uh, extinguished where he just kind of fades away. It would we would be really great if he just kind of went off on like the Paulie that we know and love. Yeah, so. I mean Paul, Paul's kind of Paul's. I love Paul. Paul's but kind, Paul's kind of a schmooze, dude. He's gonna do whatever's good for Paul. And if they if Vince oh, yeah. wants to keep paying him, he's gonna keep taking that money. That's just if anybody in the scenes because there's a lot of guys that hate Paul. A lot of guys that love right. Paul but hate Paul, like Tommy. I mean, not to bring Tommy Dreamer, but Tommy Dreamer's in that thing. Like he got fucked over by Paul, but he still loves Paul, you know, on money and yeah, shit. Yeah, he stuck with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he got fucked over bad money wise, but he stuck with him. So there's that thing going, you know. But Paul's always going to take care of Paul. That's now yeah, that you would know better than I, because you've you've been you know more about him. But, yeah. but Paul, but yeah, if they let if they were, if, if I mean, I'm sure if they threw the money at him, Paul would leave. But then Paul would try to get a counter from the WWE. That's but it, yeah, wherever I'm, I'm wherever good. the money, better money at Paul would probably go. But it'd be tough for Vince and those guys to let him walk, man. Because <laughs> he right. would go. Could you imagine him in an ECW? I mean, in an AEW ring? Because if you go back and look, go back on YouTube and look at some of the shit he cut against the WWF and ECW. It's fucking outstanding, dude. It's right. outstanding. Yeah. That's why those guys would run through fences for him and, and go crazy because he was such a great motivator of, of the of the ECW locker room, dude. You know, mm-hmm. and to let him go. Oh, you know, because, yeah. you know, basically ECW, that's where Stone Cold and Mick go, you know, when Stone Cold couldn't wrestle, really, because he said, hey, just go out there and cut promos, and he would just rip on WCW, Eric Bischoff, or fired him. He would just just lay it on the line. Have you guys ever watched that stuff? Go and um, watch. It's go, been a while, but yeah. Go watch his promo, Steve Austin's ECW promos. They're fucking, they're insanely good, dude. And that was just yeah. Paul saying, hey, Go do your thing, man. Tear it up, you know. Yeah, an incredibly, uh, incredibly bright individual. Uh, they, I mean, they talk about how he could sort out how to how to manage a, or book a match in like seconds. They say that about like Martin Scorsese, one of the best directors. Like they have like this big problem, and he and Scorsese can sort it out in like seconds where. It would take a lot of individuals a long time, and Paul's just one of those special dudes. I can't remember who trained him. Let me look up his wiki, but I can't remember who he came up under. But he fucking learned from some of the great guys in the business. I, you know, some of the great minds in the business. You know, like the the Bill Watts's. I don't want to say Eddie Graham because I don't know if Eddie Graham was alive at that time or working with Eddie Graham. But he came up with you know some of the original guys like Dusty and those guys and learn how to how to mm-hmm. book under Dusty and those guys, you know, so 
he knows he knows history and he knows how to he can take the old shit and make it twisted and make it good for the for the current time great yeah well we covered a lot of great names tonight and there's only one more thing left to do before we get out of here and that is promo of the week this comes from hal rubin a local uh liquor distributor here in milwaukee he's a big fan of the show and I've been saving this promo for a while because he submitted it. I knew we were going to do this show, uh, Greatest Managers of All Time. He just gave us a classic Jim Cornette promo. Not a whole lot of setup, but let's just hear it. Let's cut to Jim. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Down and Dirty with Dutch. I'm Dutch Mantel, and you're not. I am back here today on this special segment in the dressing room area. I want to get Jim Cornette's comments on the upcoming match today between the heavenly bodies and jim cornett jim cornett will be in the ring today against the rock and roll express and ronnie garvin now jimmy i know you're not in a very happy mood we just like to get some of your comments for the fans at home oh i got comments all right i got comments this is a con job pure and simple is exactly what it is everybody out there knows i don't belong in a professional wrestling ring i'm not an athlete i shouldn't be forced to wrestle Sure, the heavenly bodies, they can take care of themselves, but now they got to worry about taking care of me too, and it's, it's all a con job. It's so crystal clear. Because first, the Rock and Roll Express comes up with this Four Faces of Fear challenge at Thanksgiving Thunder. The four most dangerous kind of matches in wrestling four days in a row never been done, and now they're trying to chicken out of it. Now they got to have some kind of advantage. So they, they, go, they go to Bob Armstrong, and they, they make up this dream match. They have dream match, right. Yeah, people writing in, signing matches, booking matches. What it actually boils down to is they needed an advantage. They knew if they got me in the ring, then they'd have that advantage. So they dreamed up this con, and then Bob Armstrong said, well, it's a conflict of interest for me to wrestle. I'm the commissioner. I can't, I'll sign Ronnie Garvin, yeah. a psychopathic, homicidal, yeah. maniac, serial killer that would just as soon inflict pain on somebody as look at him. That's right. I'll tell you what a conflict of interest is, Bob Armstrong. A conflict of interest yeah. is you dragging your old geriatric, 184-year-old retirement home, Geritol for That's lunch, right. bunch, back in there and getting it broken. That's what conflict of interest is. But let me tell you something. That's okay. Hey, that's okay, Dutch. I'm going to stand up. That's okay. Because you see, we're going to be all right. Because you see, Rock and Roll Express, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do something. You ain't going to get your hands on me. They think that if they put me out of commission, if I'm not there at ringside at Thanksgiving Thunder to lead my men on to victory, then they're going to have an advantage. If I'm not there to provide moral support, they're going to have an advantage. Well, they would, but I'm going to be there. But Rock and Roll, I'll tell you who's got an advantage. We do, brother. Robert Gibson, that hand ain't 100%. I know it. They know it. And you know it. Ricky Morton, maybe something might happen to you before Thanksgiving Thunder comes around that indicates that you're not 100% either. I don't know what that might be, but we'll think of something. The four most dangerous kind of matches in professional wrestling four days in a row. The four faces of fear. And I can assure you, Rock and Roll Express, I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know where it's going to happen. I don't know exactly what point, but I do know it's going to happen. You're going to look at the face of fear. And you're going to look at it just like it's staring back from a mirror. You're going to see what that looks like, brother. Because there's one thing that's certain above all else. Nobody, but nobody, can go through four matches like this four days in a row without getting hurt. So at some point, somebody's going to get hurt real bad. And we plan on it being you. That's why we've accepted the risk. Either we get rid of you or you get rid of us. But one way or another, it's going to be settled. Hazard, Kentucky, Thanksgiving night, November 26th, Falls Count Anywhere. You know what that means? That means it's not only legal to wrestle inside the ring, but outside the ring as well. You can go anywhere you want to go. In the lobby, the parking lot, the aisleway, concession stand, women's toilet. Makes no difference. When somebody's back hits a flat surface and it gets counted down for three, that's when the match is over with. 
Then Friday night, November 27th, Welsh, West Virginia, Texas death match. Pure and simple, the rules are this. Falls don't count. When a guy gets pinned, then he's got a 30-second rest period, and then the bell rings for the next fall. Could go four falls or 40. Guy's got a 10 count to make it to his feet and answer the bell. <laughs> and brother, if he don't answer the bell, that means he can't continue. And that means he's been beat so bad that he can't get up. And the match goes until one man can't continue because in a Texas death match, there's no time limit, no disqualification, no stopping the match. Then Freedom Hall, Johnson City, Saturday night, November 28th, our personal favorite, <laughs> Smoky Mountain Street Fight. That's not even a wrestling match. You don't even get dressed to wrestle. You wear your, your street clothes, you wear your boots, your big belts, your big leather belts with the big belt buckles. You wear everything, you stick everything in your pockets you can stick in and anything you can drag to the ring, brother, it's legal to use because that's exactly what it is, a street fight. Ask the Fantastics how bad the heavenly bodies are in a street fight, brother, and you'll find out. That's in Johnson City and then to top it all off. Save the best for last, Knoxville, Tennessee, November 29th, Sunday afternoon. A barbed wire cage match. The ring entirely surrounded by a cage made out of four-pronged barbed wire. When you get inside that thing, brother, and that door closes, there's no way for anybody else to get in or for you to get out unless you want to look like a stack of presidential memos the night before the Watergate trial. Four-pronged barbed wire, brother, and that's what's going to come down to. So at one point, Rock and Roll Express, you're going to look at the face of fear. And then you're going to look at the referee. Because when the heavenly bodies are on top of you, beating your stinking brains out, when maybe your teeth are lolling around in your mouth like chiclets and you got a broken bone or your head's busted open, you're going to look at that referee and you're going to say, please, referee, please stop the match. Please pull him off of us. Please don't let this carnage go on any longer. And that referee's going to look at you, rock and roll, and he's going to say, I can't stop the match. I don't have the authority because you asked for it to be that way. And so then you're going to turn, you're going to look at me. And you're going to say, Jim Cornette, that blood's going to be running down your face, mixing with those tears. Jim Cornette, please stop the match. Please call them off of us. Please, we can't take the torture anymore. And I'm going to look at you, rock and roll, and I'm going to say, I can't call them off of you. I can't stop it because you asked for it to be that way. You were stupid enough, and I don't feel sorry for stupid people. And then when we're standing there with our hands in the air, brother, and that championship belt across our shoulders and all those genetic defects are booing us, but recognize this is the greatest tag team of all time and you're laying there face down in a pool of your own blood, beaten, broken, and disgusted. Rock and Roll Express, you will realize that you have seen the face of fear and it was the heavenly bodies. Thanksgiving Thunder, four faces of fear. Rock and Roll Express, your future is looking very, very dim. Okay, fans, that's it. I thought Jimmy Cornette was worried, but he's got his confidence back. Stay tuned. The big six-man tag on its way. Thanks a lot, Hal, for submitting that. We always appreciate it. A good Jim Cornette uh, promo is good for the soul. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much. And I want to thank you guys for sitting down with me tonight and reminiscing over the greatest managers of all time. So don't forget to subscribe uh, to us on Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, Apple Podcast and Google Podcast, so you can get all the updates of when we're dropping new merch and new events. So, as always, everybody, stay humble, stay hungry, and stay hard. Triple H. I can disguise the 